Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles, and I'm the host of the Sendcast, and I'm also the managing director of B Squared. If you are a new listener, then welcome to the Sendcast. The aim of the Sendcast is really, really simple. We want to reach lots of people and help us all learn more about special educational needs and disability. In this episode, we're discussing how to support PDA pupils. My guest is Claire Truman, an educational consultant from Spectrum Space. And Claire specializes in PDA and is currently completing a PhD exploring the educational experiences of PDA learners. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We are here to help show the small steps of progress pupils with CND make, and we can help schools to show that progress for a wide range of abilities and ages, whether they're engaged in subject-specific learning or not yet engaged in subject-specific learning. But if you're a primary school struggling to show progress or struggling to identify where people isn't making progress, we can help. And did you know you can use B-squared's assessment software for more than just pupils with SEND? You can now assess all pupils in one system, saving you time, saving you money, and simplifying the whole assessment process. Visit the B-Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me to take you through our assessment software and how it can help you. Now, let's get on with the podcast. On this week's show, we're discussing supporting PDA pupils. My guest this week is Claire Truman. Claire has come back and she is an educational consultant from Spectrum Space. Claire specializes in PDA and is currently completing a PhD exploring the educational experience of PDA learners. Between 2017 and 2019, Claire ran an alternative education provision with children with PDA. She now provides distance learning packages for PDA children who find it difficult to access school. Claire has also written a book to support teachers with PDA and delivers talks at various events around the UK. Welcome back to the show, Claire. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. So one of the things I just, we discussed before we started recording is identity first language. Yes. So in that intro, I'd written learners with PDA and PDA learners, and it is, they are PDA pupils, aren't they? Most people prefer the language of PDA pupils, yeah. Rather, I suppose, to someone with PDA. Yes. That's most people's preference. That's the thing. Go with the majority. Ask the individual. Yeah. Okay. So we've already recorded a podcast about what is PDA. And I ask you lots of really random questions to get my knowledge and my understanding, hopefully quite close to what it should be. But today we're discussing how to support PDA. And as we discussed before, this starts with collaboration. Yes. We don't always have time for that in school. Yes. (laughs) And that's probably one of the bar- biggest barriers, I suppose. Time is one of the biggest barriers. I would say the biggest barrier is shifting your mindset. Yes. So approaching, supporting P- PDA learners is, can be very different from what you learn in teacher training, from what you practice every day. So shifting our mindset is probably the biggest challenge. I think, I think yeah, on our previous one, we talked about like a, the hierarchy of teacher child down here is just not existent. If you're PDA, we're all the same. Yep. So the, this is what we're doing today, children. This is what we're doing. We need to get, that doesn't apply. That, that makes no sense to that person. Cause who are you to tell me? Cause we're the same level. Yes, exactly. And that's the thing that that's the real shift of mindset you've got to take. Yes. 
Cool. So I want to know two of the number, how many PDA children there are. No, you don't have to. I'm just joking. <laughs> Realistically, kind of in a school, how many China children with PDA are we talking? I mean, it's not many. It's, it, we don't have the stats is the problem. But there was an estimate that it was sort of 5 to 10% of autistic people have a PDA profile. Some estimates say 20% of autistic people have a PDA profile, but it, it really varies. The stats really vary. Cool. So in theory, so not many. in terms of diagnosis, they talk about even one in a hundred. Yeah. So if we then take another 20% of that, that's like one in 500. So you're going to have a couple in a big school. But if you're working in a specialist school, then you may have more autistic children in your school. So then you may have a higher number of PDA children in your school. Yes. Definitely. So it's not many, but but as soon as you have that child, you do really have to change your mindset. And but probably I would say if you have that mindset more, it's probably easier to manage the class. But that's a whole other thing I won't get into. Let's focus on PDA for today. So supporting PDA's got to be collaborative. It's got to be collaborative. And what we mean by that is if you have a curriculum that you've got to work through, how do you make that collaborative? So you can work with the child to identify which goals they'd like to work on first. Yep. You can also collaborate on the content. So say you're working on capital letters and full stops. It may, the rest of the class may be writing a report of the school football match to do that. And the PDA child may have no interest in football whatsoever. So they could write a Star Wars story, but they're working on their full stops and their capital letters the same as everyone else. If then my radical suggestion is, why are you getting the rest of the class to write about football in the first place? You could just offer everyone the Star Wars option. <laughs> but, because we have to do the topics everyone tells us to do. Oh. Yeah, sometimes it is because it's week two of the autumn term and we're on to football. Yes. That interesting thing, I'll just say again, we talked previously about if I give you a demand, that's one thing. If your phone gives you a demand, you kind of process it differently. It yeah. could be easier because yeah. it's come from a device. So is there a situation where rather that if I actually say this is what we've got to do and I, and I give you on a piece of paper, is that easier to kind of process? It can be easier but it's not easy. Yes. And we do get a lot of pieces of paper in a school day. So they can still quickly build up into demands. So if there's probably more support that needs to go in in addition to just writing it down. So I've done things before, like on the bottom of instruction sheets, I've put a little box that says you may have a better idea. And then someone can write their better idea in. I'm not promising that they'll be able to do their better idea, but the instruction sheet may give them step-by-step -step instructions for how to add using counters, and they may have a better idea of how they want to practice addition, and then we can collaborate and talk about whether their better idea would be fine. Yeah. That's the thing is if you tell them you're only doing it this way, they're going to be more defined. But if you go there's this way or this way or choose your own way, then they're more likely to even choose the one you wanted them to because you've given them a choice. Yeah, they're going to be a lot less anxious. Yeah. That's the main thing. So if you're telling someone exactly how to do something they, and they have a PDA profile, they're going to be very anxious. Yeah. 
So you're always trying to reduce the anxiety. A nice byproduct of that is it often increases the work output, <laughs> but that's a byproduct. The aim is to reduce anxiety. Yeah. And if we come back to anxiety, I know lots of schools with SEN, they may use visual timetables. Yes. So in my head, that is a really good resource for PDA. It is, but sometimes it needs tweaking. I love, I love it's no simple answer, is it? There's no simple answers with PDA. Sorry. Sorry about that. I'm just making this podcast harder. Yes. I'm literally, I write something down and cross it out again. Write something down, cross it out again. <laughs> it needs tweaking. So different ways I've done that. I had a visual timetable for the whole class above the whiteboard. And then one of my PDA students came into the class five minutes early before everyone else. And he had the same visual timetable printed out. Yep. And he would go through and he had a veto. So he would cross out things he didn't want to do and replace them with things from a pre-chosen list. That, so it wasn't replacing numeracy with going to Thought Park. It was a preset list of alternatives. Yeah. And he could replace what he'd vetoed with that. And then we moved on from there to him putting in regulating breaks. So he'd still do what was on the timetable, but he would put in his own regulating breaks. So there are different ways to do that. If you're working with someone who is using sort of now and next, so a whole visual timetable is too much, but they're on now and next, yeah. then again, you can turn that into a two-choice choice board. So this is what we're doing now. What would you like to do next out of two choices? Or what would you like to do now out of two choices? What would you like to do next out of two choices? So with this child, we had the visual timetable and they had their own, they could veto it. How old was that child? That child was 13 when we were That's doing it. that. That's the thing. It's, it literally, I'm literally going, that's, there's a lot of work gone into that and that's probably that's a very collaborative approach because you've literally got, here's a list of activities you could do that we're approving. And then you're having that bit and you've got to be able to manage, actually, this is what we need to do as a class, but you need to do something else. So it's got to fit in with what we're actually doing in terms of classroom management. So it can't be, well, we're all having quiet reading. You can listen to loud music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there was some groundwork that needed to be done. But the groundwork saved us a lot of time in the long run. So I'm going to say this because it's nice and simple, that probably PDA, supporting PDA in a primary setting is probably easier because it's generally that teacher is with that child for an entire year. Yeah. And the parents come in generally in a mainstream primary, so there's a nice lot of communication going on with everyone involved. Yes. So with that, you can do a lot more of that collaborative. You can, you've got more flexible flexibility around those timetables and what you're doing. So instead of writing about the football, you can write about your Star Wars or whatever else. It's, it's the, the underneath skills are important rather than the, using the word football, various variations of football or passing and tackling and things like that. We're not really into that interest in that vocabulary. It's growing your vocabulary is what we really, all that sort of stuff. You can do yeah. it on a different topic. It's not going to break anything. Yes. Yeah. So in primary, I'm going to say easy, but I, my, my head says supporting PDA is not easy. <laughs> so, or even easier, but, but it's just not, I get that. But I think, how would you even attempt this in a mainstream secondary? Mainstream secondary is very challenging, but I think it can still be done. Well, I know it can still be done. It is helpful, but not essential for one-to-one uh, -one support to be in place. 
but that's not always the case. You know, yep. that doesn't always happen. But if that can happen, that allows a lot more flexibility because then the person who's supporting the learner one-to-one can do some of the adaptation for them. They can have an oversight of what needs to be covered and what can, where there's flexibility. They become, they, a, can, they become a very big buffer. Yeah. <laughs> Here's all the information. Now it's up to you when to pass that on, in what way, and what to miss out and what to add in instead. It's that that's their role, I suppose. Yeah. And if someone needs to leave the classroom, it's safer to do that with an adult present. So that makes things a lot easier. But even where that's not possible or that's not the case, you need to again be putting in a lot of groundwork. But it is possible to teach the PDA child and young person that they can adapt their learning to suit them yeah you have to get every teacher this is the biggest challenge in secondary you have to get every teacher that they're going to encounter to be on board with that approach yes that's the biggest challenge but if you teach the learner the difference between a learning objective and an activity so a learning objective might be and i can't think of any learning objectives a learning objective might be multiplying and dividing decimals that's yes. a learning to know how to do that is a learning objective. An activity might be a card game that a teacher's invented. If you teach their child or the young person in this case the difference between the objective and the activity, then they can veto the activity, but they've got to stick to the objective. Yes. It's almost like the objective is a non-negotiable. Yeah. The activity could be a negotiable. Yes. Okay, I think we're still gonna to work towards that. And although we've said we're gonna do it this way. Actually, if there is a way which makes more sense to you, as long as the outcome, that objective is still worked towards, then life will be good. Yeah. And there may be days when actually even the objective is too much. And then the aim is keeping everyone safe and everyone happy and everyone healthy. So then you teach PDA children and young people what what the safe way of dealing with not being able to be in that lesson is or the safe way of not being able to learn right now is. So maybe it's to go to the SEND base if there is one learning support base, student support office. It's all about upskilling at secondary level. It's all about upskilling the young person yeah. so that they can meet their own needs. Yes. And I suppose and we're going to I'm gonna go for the more disruptive side of things that because you talked about the word safe, which is kind mm-hmm. of in my head, that's where we're heading towards is just more <laughs> yeah. disruptive is if that child has just gone, you know what, this is all too much, I can't cope with this, you can't just deal with that in that moment. As with everything, the groundwork has to be done first. Yes. So you have to go, and you can't even say, if you are, I'll say we're dysregulated, if you are struggling, you go here because you've just put demand on them. Yeah. So that doesn't work. Yeah. You've got to give them choices. Yes. And that could be really hard for a school to facilitate so you've yeah. got to think about those options and you might have that send resource space yeah yep. or the inclusion the support place the pastoral center there could be two of those that's fine but if your next option is oh the head of year because you like her then that head of year cannot leave that office because they always need to be there yeah so that's not a practical option great practical options are libraries because they tend to be well less so now but they used to always be supervised but not by anyone who's going to place demands on you. Yeah. So they're not supervised by a teacher who's got an agenda. They're supervised by a librarian who's keeping the place safe. Yeah. So libraries were great places as 
alternative places to learn. But the thing is thinking about it in advance because, like yes. you say, you can't say in that moment, go to the library. Because you've just put a demand on Because you've them. just put a demand on someone. And also recognising the signs sooner. So having a check-in system where you, you're checking, it's better to offer a choice at the beginning of the lesson of are you feeling like you can stay in the classroom today or are you feeling like you'd rather work in the library? It's better to offer that at the beginning than to wait till someone's dysregulated and deal with it in that moment. Yes. I suppose another option is if they do have that one-on-one, in reality they could go to much more places because that person will be with them. Yeah. That's so the that's, other... that's a lot of, that gives you a lot more options. And that means that for whatever reason they don't want to go to that one, so they want to go over here. Again, you've got a couple of options. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's that thing of when it's all going wrong, the plan has to be there and that it has to be almost deep enough in that child that they can use that information when they are struggling with other things. Yes. And it has to have been honoured. has to be honoured by everyone. Yes. Because sometimes I get sort of calls for help where someone's used their opt-out system and one teacher said, no, you're fine, you can stay. But I say it's, and I, I get this, and well, no, no, there's yeah, there's a whole thing with secondary schools of saying you can't use toilets of various because it's vaping and yeah. almost deciding whether or not someone needs a toilet because of people vaping. It's like, but I need a toilet. No, 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 you don't. It's we got, with PDA. You can't just say no if if you are signing up to this child needs to be able to leave the classroom when they need to, then nothing should get in that way. Yeah. You've got to honour what you've said you're going to do. Because if you don't do that, at the moment the first person doesn't honour that, it's going to go really badly after that. Because then you never, you can't trust that system at all. Exactly. So you have to, and yeah, and what you might think, looking at the outside, is they are fine. But you're looking at the outside. You're not looking at what's going on inside, which might be about to boil over. You're just seeing how they're presenting and going, well, you look all right. And a lot of PDA children and young people mask. Yes. So the anxiety may be unbearable on the inside, but the outward presentation may not be anything that anyone's noticing. So it's about trusting that, that individual and building that relationship so that they trust you. Yeah. And that's the thing is you might, this child, you might see a child leaving your classroom looking calm or not distressed or not throwing anything. And you might be able to go find out and go, what happened? Oh no, they just went and sat in the library. You might thinking, oh, so they didn't need to. No, you're, you're kind of just making all that judgment from the external view. You're, you're, you're literally not seeing them sitting there holding a book or whatever they're doing in that room, but kind of, dealing with things on the inside. You're just looking at that external presentation, which can give you the wrong information. And also, if you're waiting till you see someone throw something, you've left it far too late. Yes. So, and and all you're teaching somebody in that situation is, I will only let you out of the room when you've thrown something. Whereas if you honour somebody's, I need to get out, or I'd rather leave, please, then you're learning, you're teaching the lesson that that is how to avoid the demand when you can't cope with it. Yes. And then what's more likely to happen 
sometimes, maybe, possibly, is they now trust that system. So you might reduce that anxiety slightly because they know that if they need to, they can leave. Definitely. Whereas that first time, they're not really trusting you. They'll leave it a bit longer and then go, I really need to. And you said I could, so let me, yeah, I, I can go. The next time it was like, well, I know I can go if I need to. So you're slightly more regular. It's that in my head, that sort yeah. of thing. The first time you test it, you're going, oh, well, this is all right. Okay. So I'll, I'll cope with it now because I always know I've got this exit. I know. Yeah. But so you have to, and also I think when you get to the point where you're throwing something, then that you're definitely not allowed to throw things in school. So therefore, after that, any response from someone is about you throwing the chair. Yeah, it can be. And that's another thing that about supporting PDA children and young people. If you have left it too late and something has gone disastrously wrong and something unsafe has happened, then our temptation as teachers is to use that moment as a lesson for why you should and shouldn't throw things. And that is the worst thing you can possibly do. <laughs> so in that mo- that moment is not a lesson learning moment for the child. That, that moment is a getting everything back to calm. And sometimes that can look very odd. You could, I've some, suddenly burst into knock-knock jokes in the middle of a, things flying around because that was how to reduce someone's anxiety. You're just looking to reduce anxiety in that moment and keep everyone safe. But, and then after that, when everything's calmed down, probably not on the same day, you have a problem-solving discussion about something unsafe happened yesterday. What can I do and what can you do to make it easier for that to not happen again? Yes. You know what my next question is going to be? What's your next question going to be? I need a knock-knock joke from you now. Oh, now I can't think of one off the top of my head. I can tell you a joke joke, though. As long as it's clean-ish. What's the fastest cake in the world? Oh, it sounds like a really good dad joke. It is a dad joke. Scone. I love this one. Knock, knock. Who's there? Europe. Europe No, you are. (laughs) Very good. I love it. It's so simple. Anyway, I'll use that next time. Back to PDA because it works. It's just such a childish. That's a good thing about dad jokes, yeah? Dad jokes are non-offensive. Yeah. Yeah. So, which means you can use them with any age. Yes. They're generally quite simple. Yes. And that's what I love about them. Yeah. Is I'm, I'm a bit like you. I will resort to humor. Yeah. In some moments, I literally go, I have no idea what to say. I can't improve the situation. But I can make you smile by saying a dad joke. Humor is a great way to reduce anxiety. It is. It really does help. Yeah. Lots of good. There's, a, there's, a, there's an Australian thing on YouTube called something about chocolate, which has got loads of really good dad jokes in. <laughs> okay. But anyway, I'm going to move off the dad jokes. My head now mm-hmm. stuck in dad joke mode. I've got to get out of that. So, yeah, as you just said, in that moment, they are dysregulated. Yes. They are dysregulated. Nothing is going to go in. Absolutely nothing is going to go in. Even when they're regulated an hour later... They're still processing that dysregulated part type thing, aren't they? Yeah. So even then, an hour later, they're not ready. And nor are you. And nor you're are you. still processing too. Because you're probably not just ready. And you're probably you're either offended, you're upset, you're Yeah. You all have to be in the right place to have that conversation. And that's gonna 
take some time and you're going to need to prepare because you're going to need to have ideas for the problem solving. Yes. So that's going to take some time. And you might get to go, you might start the phone, well, I've got to tell him off for throwing that chair. And their response to me, but you did this and you said you wouldn't. And you've got to then think about what that, how are you going to deal with that? You've got to think about going into that conversation. I might have caused this without knowing it. Yeah, you've got to be open to genuinely collaborating on making sure that doesn't happen again. And that's going to take a little bit of work from you, a little bit of work from them. Yes. And that's that thing is, it, it's that, that thing that done as a parent is realizing that what you think is happening and what they think is happening are vastly different. Yeah. And you thought everything was really fine. And I've had these conversations afterwards. And I've gone, I had no idea you saw it that way. That's not my intention. But, but, but from my point of view, it's this. But I now, but that's the sort of thing. From my point of view, we should have managed to do this. But you're saying I, we can't. And I can't just then dismiss them. It's, their reason is very valid. That's the thing. You can't just say, well, I did this because of this. And that's that. That's not collaborative. No. Because that's you putting you above them. Yeah. They are, you and them are on the same level. Yeah. So if you said, I did this because of this, and they said, well, because of this, you did that, you're like, they're both valid. And you have to accept that. And you've got to sit there and go, okay, so I've got to change what I did slightly. It might not be much of a change so that it, so we actually have a, that collaboration. But that's the thing. I think sometimes we go in and we think, I don't talk about my own personal children, it's their fault. They reacted. That's on them. Generally, what I've learned is they didn't know how to react because it was a new situation or I didn't understand the impact it had on them. And often the reason they reacted is actually down to the situation I put them in or something I've done. It's two people in it. It's always two people in an interaction and there's always room for both of you to move in and change what you did a bit or almost always. Yeah. I mean, if, it was an if it was an unsafe situation and you had to act to keep everyone safe, there might have been limited things you could do differently. But you can still work together on how do we prevent someone being that anxious again. And we've got to remember we are generally in the position of holding the most information. Yeah. And we might have decided to share certain information with them. And sometimes those bits we share help. Sometimes they're the bits the, there's other bits we should have shared which would have helped the situation but we didn't think that was necessary and things like that. So we've got to think about we are in a position a lot of the time of having all the information, which is why we did this, which because of this, because of this, because of this. But we don't give that information to these children. And sometimes having that information helps them understand why things happen. And we don't always listen to the information we're getting back either. No. So there, there was some research that was done by Stuart et al. And they noticed that often behaviour was escalated to a dangerous point for PDA, children and young people, this was. Behaviour was escalating to a dangerous point when other attempts, karma, attempts to avoid a demand had failed. So the young people were saying, I can't do this, and were being told, yes, you can. And that was where the problems were, were occurring. But if, if someone had listened to, I can't do this, and not said, yes, you can, but said, let's find something else for you to do instead, then it wouldn't have escalated in the first place. Now, somebody listens is going, but 
we have to do what the teacher says. Is that kind of, if I say we're doing this, this is what we're doing kind of mentality goes yeah. on in school. And there are re- so many reasons for it and I get it and it is, but generally, even in most situations, if someone doesn't want to do something, there's generally a reason. Children don't want to be naughty. If they see a reason for it and they get it and they understand it, they'll do it. So if someone's saying, I don't want to do it, the answer shouldn't be, where you're going to in any situation? Because you've just got to sit there and go, there should be a reason. There's a reason they're saying this. Or there's a reason they can't do the work. So PDA or not, you shouldn't just go, where you're going to, or you can. You've just got to take that step back first. And if that child is uh, autistic, PDA, maybe not, you're not sure, just try something else would be a good starting point. It would, and particularly for PDA children and young people where they they don't get heard when they say, I can't, and often. And the anxiety is so great that being the advocating for themselves in that calm manner is is what we want to see and that gets undermined and it frustrates me so much when i see that getting undermined and people saying oh just try it go on do a little bit but for so many children and i literally think of like my taking my to a child my daughter to a slide and she's at the top of the show, i can't do it it's like i know you can and they won't you end up fighting you end up prizing their fingers off and you <laughs> shove them down the slide and they get to the bottom and they loved it and they go and do it again and again so for some children, it is, I'm not saying just force your children down slides, just to be very clear, it's just, that's an example. But it is, for certain children, you kind of know. I remember having a 20-minute battle with my daughter trying to get her to try tomato soup. <laughs> and one of the things, I literally go, and I've drawn my line in my sand here, I've got to fight this one. She loved spaghetti and tomato sauce. So tomato soup, same colour, everything's <laughs> basically, it's just, it's the sauce. No, 20 minutes. She finally had her first taste. Five minutes later, the bowl was empty. You know, yeah, that's the thing. You know, and things like that. But that's not always the right thing. And for PDA, it's the opposite of the right thing. Exactly. It's interesting what you say there about you drew your line in the sand with your daughter in that situation. You want to avoid drawing any lines in sand. Unless it's a safety rule. Yeah. Um, or a legal rule, you want to avoid drawing a line in the sand. It's much better to keep things open. I like tomato soup. Do you fancy trying any rather than you will eat the tomato my, my, soup? My daughter just has a whole thing about trying things. And certain oh. things, you know, you are literally going, they say pick your battles. Yeah. So that was one thing. And on this one, I've gone, no, I've picked this one. <laughs> I've picked this one. It wasn't everything. I literally, I generally going, you know what? She eats jelly with a straw. It works fine you do it that way generally i don't care but it's what i draw i've literally gone i've picked my battle now <laughs> and i've picked it. it and my, my tomato and it was and i look back and i'm going oh. but there's a whole trying food thing going on in my family but that's um, lots of families have this but it is doing that with pda would be the polar opposite wrong thing to do yeah you want to not be putting any lines in sand yes and that's the thing is, this is again where if you're the primary setting and you do something, they say, I can't, and it goes negatively, you'll immediately, the next time you see something, you should be able to go, oh, okay, don't push this. Okay, I'll take a step back. But in secondary school, 
you've got so many teachers involved, it's hard to have that conversation. There's no real collaborative way that works well that teacher A can report something for child F. And then that child F teachers see that and go, oh, okay, because they don't have that time. The system's too complicated to create. It will take a lot of management, a lot of time. If we did, the minute it goes wrong for teacher A, teacher B would go, okay, I'll step back today. But that doesn't happen. And then teacher B gets a child who's dysregulated coming in and it can go worse. But nothing really happened in that lesson to kick it off. It's that, that's the thing. I think that's the thing which in secondary makes life really hard. Secondary is a lot logistically harder to meet people's needs, but we don't have a choice. We don't have a choice about meeting someone's needs. We have a duty to meet someone's needs. So we've got to find a system that works and technology helps there. I mean, when I was teaching in mainstream secondary, I was able to uh, jot a note on uh, the software, the attendance software for the next teacher to say, you know, so-and-so, I didn't teach any PDA children in that setting, but I was always jotting notes down, you know, I've, I've lent so-and-so a pen. Did that you get many notes from other teachers? No. There we go. <laughs> there are, you know what I mean? There are just teachers who are just sharing information and putting it all out there. Like, sound like you were that person putting the notes mm. in, but not everyone's there reading it. So you're almost like you're putting all this information out, but it might not have been accessed. And that's the yeah. sort of thing. It's that having that time to read it and share again, it, it's another level of work. And some people would do it, but I think a lot won't. And I wish that we had, they had more time in secondary to do these things. Cause I think, especially where there are, I know it's only 15% of schools apparently do all most of the exclusions. It would probably make a very big difference if there was this more, this thread of conversation, joining these staff together to actually sit there and go, hang on, there's a pattern here. Yeah. It's, it's tricky. It is logistically tricky in mainstream secondary but it's still doable there are you've still got a send team you've still got a senko you've still got uh form tutors who are going to be able to form a better stronger probably relationship with the child you can generally pinpoint a teacher that's got a strong relationship with a child it might not be the form tutor it might be the PE teacher it might be the math teacher and you can use that um person mind that person for information how did you get that strong relationship sometimes it's about recognising that someone's style doesn't suit and saying, actually, this teacher's style is not going to suit you for a little while. Let's find another way for you to learn this content while we iron that out. It's, But we don't have the option of saying this is too hard. These children are in our classrooms. Yep. They have needs that need to be met and that's our duty. But the problem is... We are sometimes not meeting that need. We are often not meeting that need. <laughs> I, I, yeah. But what happens is, is for that explosive PDA child where the need is not being met, they explode. And then often that, blamed, that blame is put on them. Yeah. And that's the thing is the support should be there. But I think, I know some schools, and I bet no one listening to this podcast believes that, but they bet they've come across someone who believes that like, stuff like PDA or SEMH is an excuse. 
that's the problem you have. There's sometimes these secondary people who see things like this, it's just, it's an excuse. It's not real. It's, and I've seen this a few times and it really, really winds me up that I see people who still don't get it. I I see that in training sometimes, the it's not real and, and what, you know, what have you made up now? But I try and appeal to people's empirical side in that situation. So I say, okay, we've got the same goal. We might have different ways of coming at this, different approaches, different different ways of thinking about this but we've got the same goal we want someone happy safe and learning yeah your strategy so far are they leading to happy safe and learning if not would you be willing to try this and see if it leads to happy safe and learning quicker yes that's the thing i think if you it is it's a whole school mindset change and that's the thing i think one person going changing their mind in one school isn't huge and it might not have any effect you kind of got to get the whole school to change yeah and that, when you start having that, and what works for SEM works for all, and if you support that PDA child better, there's less disruption, and every child benefits. Every, there's benefits at every single level, and it starts off with that child being more regulated and getting more out of education and more out of life and being happier. But it's also that it's less stress for the teacher. It's less interruption for the rest is it's so it benefit 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 it's just a lot of benefit what's the cost that's a bit i always sit there and you're going you're saying why you won't but i don't get why i suppose the cost people feel like the cost is time but the time dealing with it going wrong the time you spend dealing with it going wrong yes is often a lot more than the time you could spend getting it right and generally that time is a lot more stressful. Yeah. And more people involved who are then stopping other things. So that's the sort of thing it's, and I go, to, I mentioned the super nanny. I remember, and I always use a good excuse, a good example is going to the supermarket with your child. If you go unprepared and you see these parents shoving them in the trolley and trying to get through it as quickly as possible, no one's enjoying it. The kids are in the in that, in that trolley crying, trying to reach out for things, pushing their hand, just hating the experience. And that's you're unprepared. And then you'll get home and you've got to deal with it all and unwind and you're stressed and all that lot. And Super Nanny said, is that just give the child a shopping list, get them to write the shopping list at home. Even if they can't write, just give them a pen and paper and do mark making and remember that shopping list in your head. And as you walk around, go, oh, we need a cucumber. Can you remember what it looks like? And you let them go. And what you find, it takes you slightly longer. But now that child is not, being an, is not negative impact. It's not making you stressed. Then no one's dysregulated. It takes yeah. you slightly longer than if you'd ran around that shop. But the moment you walk out, you're now ready for the next thing. Yeah. Whereas if you didn't do that, you've got to go home and have a very big either cup of coffee or glass of wine <laughs> and send their child to their room because they've just ruined your shopping trip. But it, it, to me, that is is a really good anecdote for so much with our children and even adults that actually you put that little bit in at the beginning all that collaboration at the beginning what is it we actually need and do that shopping list it works and it's time well spent because if you've you're moving to a point or you're aiming to move to a point where the young person is independently able to meet their own manage their own Demand avoidance and meet their own needs. Yes. Because in adulthood, that's what 
they're going to be able to do. Our job is to prepare people for adulthood and that's what they're going to need in adulthood. So actually, as you go through the school, the less time the teachers will need, if you put in the groundwork at the beginning, yes, the less time the teachers will need to manage that because the child, the young person will be doing that themselves. Yes. The young person will be saying, hi, sir, I'm going to work in the library today. Can I take the work with me? Rather than the teacher managing dysregulation in the classroom. Yes. And that is that, that personal advocacy. Yes. Yeah, Building that up from early on. And you, you realise you, you can do it much earlier. Yeah. yeah. Going back to my shopping trip is after you've got cucumber a few times, they're going to ask you, do we need cucumber? <laughs> yeah, they learn from things. So if they learn, actually, I didn't recognise this in myself, but you recognise it and we did this, I'll learn that and I'll recognise it myself and I'll learn things which help me calm down and I can then share that with others. Yeah. It's that yeah. sort of thing. It will build up over time and if we give them that power and we respect that understanding... We all know that certain adults will just run out somewhere and have a smoke. Yeah. We know certain people who will have a glass of wine when they get home. Yes. It's not the best self-regulation, but it's part of that self-regulation for that person. Um, yeah. We know what helps us regulate. So we don't just get that at the age of 21 or something. We learn it as we grow up. We don't have access to alcohol and smoking at age five, but we can learn things which help us calm down. Yeah. And it is giving them that, then respecting it. So when we taught them this, then they're telling us this is what we need. We've got to respect it and honour it. Yes. You've got to, you've got to honour the no thank you. Yes. Otherwise, you're, you're not allowing someone to meet their own needs. No. And you're going to be doing a, a lot of hard work. Yes. If you're not honouring that self-advocacy. So there's a lot of PDA children. Mm -hmm. And you sent me some stats saying 70% of children with PDA are not in school. Yes. So that came from a survey conducted by the PDA Society called Being Misunderstood. It was That was the report title. It was done in 2018, I believe. And they found that 70% of PDA children were either not, not in, on a school role at all or were on a school register but were struggling to get in more often than not. And that is why when I said they sometimes don't meet a need, you change it to... Often. Often. 70% of the 70 time. 70% is in the often zone, <laughs> yeah. definitely, if not most zone. Yeah. So that's not a great step. No. So it's showing us that people don't understand. They are not believing it. They're just naughty. They've still got that mindset. Yeah, it's showing us that. It's showing us that it goes against what we're taught to do as teachers, a lot of, the, of, lot of this way of working. I wouldn't have run a main, my mainstream secondary class along PDA best practice before I'd heard of PDA. It goes against what we're, we're taught about classroom management. It just takes a different way of thinking about it. And actually the system is set up in such a way that traditional strategies are considered to be the most effective. And it doesn't lend, the system doesn't lend itself to flip flipping our mindset but actually once we do we get better results for everyone yes and that's the thing is we do have a lot of ways of teaching which are based on education 
where I would probably say most of the children are either picked to be in that classroom, either, you know, some schools just choose not to admit children with special needs. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes. Yeah. Those sorts of schools where they, this works perfectly here. This is what everyone should be doing. It's like, yes, if you are, you have a selective pupil and you can do this, then maybe it does work. But that's not every classroom. Yeah. And you get what you get in a lot of schools. And you have to work with that. And some ways work well. And I think collaborative is a very respectful way of learning. And I look back, as I learned, I love talking about the podcast, I look back at some of the things my teachers did when I was at school. And I look back and going, that's what they were doing. I can reflect back and, and I see some of that collaborative stuff. I can see some of the things they did. And it's some of those bits I really recognize now as what they were doing. And, and that collaborative approach is the best because there's a lot of respect both ways. Whereas I think when you're being maybe too authoritarian, the respect isn't there either way. It's done on fear. And if you, if you are putting fear in someone, they're not going to like you. They're not going to respect you. But if you have respect for each other, you're going to get more done together. Definitely. And the world we're preparing children for is changing. So workplaces now are a lot more collaborative in many cases. There's flatter management structures. Yes. Um, there's more people are working from home, so they're running their own day a bit more. There's an awful lot more collaboration that needs to happen in people's working lives to, to, to get through your job. Yes. And the more we can prepare to all children for that, the better. And that happens to be the best PDA strategy as well. Yes. So our office here, which you've had a look at is I don't have an office. I'm, I'm in with everyone Yeah. because we are together. We are a team. We are to me the same and everyone that has an equal voice yeah. And I love it. And it's great. I tried to sit in an office. It felt really horrible. I didn't like it. So I, I sit with everyone because we are a team and we work together. And that's what offices look like for the yes. most part now. So classrooms could look like that. They could. But, and this is a bit, I get we kind of do this because we're adults and we've learned loads of things and the way we work, and we've learned all these things. And at school, you're teaching these things. So I get there's a certain things are different, but in reality, the best way of teaching is by doing. So we should be changing that classroom approach. There's lots of things we should be changing because we're seeing lots of things where it's not working currently. And I, yeah, I think there needs to be a change coming. And all these things we're talking about supporting PDA will make a very, 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 very big difference. I think for most people, most pupils, it will make a difference. Yeah, it's win-win. Yes, definitely. Right. Anything else to add before we go? My last thing would be prioritizing demands. So not every demand needs to be put in place. So my first thing I do when I go into schools is I get a stack of post-it notes and a giant cup of coffee. And we put every demand that the child is encountering in their day on a post-it note. And then we whittle them down. Which ones do we need? Do we need underlining the date in a black ink using a ruler do we need that one and I would say really really pick the demands that that you need it's going to be a legal rule or a safety rule generally speaking 
anything else, negotiate and collaborate. Yes. That's a very good point. And I know we discussed that, saved you one of that, and everything else is non-negotiable. Everything else is negotiable. Yeah. And that's the thing is you might have a very good reason for it, but in reality, in the scheme of things, is it that important for that pupil? And just to be clear, when I'm saying that, I'm not saying we shouldn't have expectations of these children. Yeah, I'm not saying they don't matter. When I tell you this, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying what's really important for them. And there's a whole safety. You know, but then we get into it. It's actually, it's what's important for them. Yeah, it might be the same as everyone else, but it might be slightly different. Yeah, and we talked about in the last podcast yeah. about, I said the word normal, you talked about interactions, which is yeah. a much better way of saying it. And it is, for them, it's being able to interact with others more in a more regulated way is actually the aim for that child. Yeah, it's the, sort of the same as what we said on the last podcast, that we're trying to get the most out of life for them. Yes, and underlining things in a certain colour doesn't get you much out of life. doesn't get you much out of life. Now, I'm sure some listeners has got a very good reason, and I get that, but we've got to think where that reasonable adjustment, yeah? And that's the thing is we, you, we judge people on what we see, yeah? So we are podcasting each other. I see you. You see me. I'm making a load of, exp- I'm making a load of judgments around you because you look like a normal person, and you're making a load of, I look like a normal person. But we know nothing about each other, but we've made a load of it. I presume you went to a primary school? I did. You went to a secondary school? I did. You've got a PhD, so you've got a degree and a master's. Yeah. So I'm making certain assumptions, but I have no idea what's going on in your head. I know I, I have no idea how any of easy or hard those things were for you. And the same here. I haven't got a degree, just to be clear. I haven't got a degree. But we make these assumptions, but we see the surface. And that's the thing is, with this child, it's... You might look at a child going, well, they're doing all right. You don't know how hard they are working to stand still. Yeah. And that's the important thing with stuff like PDA and autism. There's what you see with them masking, and then what's going on underneath to maintain that appearance of I'm okay. Can be a lot of work. Definitely. And that's where the listening is so important. Yes. Okay, right. So... Wrapping it up, I've got a load of links again from you, so I'll be sharing yeah. those. So thank you for coming on the show today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Really, really enjoyed it. So you'll find the links and also ways of getting hold of Claire in the show notes, and as always, they're wherever you listen, or they're on our website, which is www.thesendcast.com. If you listen on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please leave a review, share it, give it a five-star review, and let others know what you think. And if you are struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, or you just want to see what is available from us and why we do things the way we do things, have a look at the B-Squared website or book a free online meeting with me so I can take you through our products. We have a huge range of assessment products to help all schools show small sets of progress people with SCND, but we also have new stuff for all pupils. So if you're a primary school in England, who wants to use one assessment system for all pupils instead of multiple ones for different levels of pupils and things like that, get in contact. 
You can find out about our online training, our CPD, read our blog, watch our webinars. It is all on the B Squared website and you'll find a link to the website and to book a meeting with me in the show notes. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye, everyone.